0: Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as ever by Will Schroeder, startups.com CEO and founder, and as well-established at this point, my friend. So, Will, uh, we've, uh, we've, we've had a fair amount of our careers expired together now, uh, which, is, which is fairly cool. Um, and, and ties in nicely to today's episode, because we're going to talk a little bit about how, as, as you know, small companies, as startups, particularly at the early stage, how do we create career paths for people, right? How do we create a, a compelling vision for both the company and how the people who help us start and, and grow this thing uh, can exist within that? Yeah, you know,
1: Ryan, I think we also talk a lot about what if we don't want to build a big company, right? I mean, it's heretical in startup terms, but, you know, what if, what if we're good at 12 people? Uh, how do we get really good people to either come on board or stay on board, even though we don't plan on being a much bigger company? Uh, And, you know, funny, now that I think about this, um, when we first started, of course, like everybody else, we were a small company and then we grew pretty quickly, but we actually wanted to stay like the bones of a small company. So, you know, I don't remember exactly the milestone, but if you remember, Ryan, when we had, say, like, I don't know, maybe 20 people, which was still big enough for us at the time, but like, you know, fairly small we had six managers in place, you know, kind of like the six different parts of the company. Uh, it, it wrote, yeah, and then now we have 200 people and we still have exactly the same six managers. Actually it's, it's almost the same Ryan, because uh, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were, they were asking about the kind of the composition of the company. And it just occurred to me that four of the six, I'm sorry, uh, four of the six. Yeah. Uh, have been there since the start of the company. So the entire eight years, um, and so so how do you talk to the rest of the org and say, hey, there's opportunity for you here, but maybe we're not going to grow or we're not going to be as big as that other company you're talking about? And I think it affects a lot of people because uh, there's a bit of a crossroads. One is I don't want to have to grow and create hierarchy in order for people to uh, in the, on the team to grow. You know, it just that just feels like bullshit.
0: It's arbitrary. It can be. It can actually be highly detrimental because then you start to get into doing things that are counter for the business simply because it suits what you want it to be able to do from a career stat, uh, standpoint.
1: And to be fair, I also don't think, and I'm curious your thoughts here, I also don't think that startups have the same kind of uh, workforce that they used to. I think people, like, I think the hierarchical workforce is a throwback to way, way back in the industrial era, right? Where you had labor not people you had labor that needed to be managed you had people you know on on the assembly line that needed to be managed by somebody on top of them
0: right yeah when you're turning a screw autonomy is not really a thing you can be afforded it always it's always righty tighty lefty loosey. there's no autonomy there like you're always going to do this yeah no that's, that's a really good point well well, I mean, even even like you know, I mean, like how much of how much of, of hierarchy was driven, and just even think about like how we were building our businesses uh, physically. Think about the offices, right? There was a physical hierarchy in addition to just the title hierarchy, right? The corner office, right? The bullpen, right? The opposite ends of the spectrum, and I mean, now we're talking about offices even being an antiquated, uh, you know, like a relic of, of how you build a company. Um, and certainly, I think that the, the management structures that, that lived within those are, are worth calling into question at this point. Uh,
1: I believe in today's economy, you've got far more empowered and far more capable people at almost every level in the organization. So it used to be uh, you were the silly intern that came in. You knew nothing. And I'm not saying that doesn't exist. But within a few years anymore, with the tools that you can be enabled with and kind of the way the world works now, at 25, if you don't know your craft, you've got a problem, right? It used to be like 25. Well, I'm still 30 years away from making it into management. And now it's like, man, I'm at 25. Well, you know, what haven't you figured out yet? So uh, I just think the tools have changed. The world has changed. Um, not wholesale, not across the board and I'm not pretending it, 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 uh, it goes to every business, but in the startup world, in the world that we live in, I think it's much, much different. and this isn't an argument against management or hierarchy entirely. It's more about I don't think that moving up the ranks the way we used to, which simply meant you become a manager, you then become manager of more people, and then you keep managing until there's no more people, you know, no more uh, places to, to move up. And, and I remember where this killed me the most. Um, a long time ago, when we were running an agency and we started hiring lots and lots of developers, we hit a point where we had like maybe 50 developers. And that's a, that was a lot, especially back then. And our best developer was being moved up and up into management. But I kept thinking like, he's a developer. Like, like, why were we putting him into management? Like, he's actually not that good at that particular job. But because he was the most senior, he had to have the most seniority to kind of like guide other people. And one day he comes to me and he's like, I hate this job, right? I didn't come here to manage people, right? And I, I said, I, I, dude, I don't know what to do. Like, uh, theoretically, you're the most capable. So you, Peter Principle, you're, you're
0: way up there, right? That's it, man.
1: And And now you're stuck.
0: Yeah, now the Peter Principle is a real thing, and I think it's. It, I think that is compressed significantly and and highlighted even more within the startup space. I mean, we can use whatever analogy you want here, but like you're not going to make Cristiano Ronaldo the coach. Like you're the best player we got, top goal scorer in the league. You should probably be the manager. Right, right. That's exactly it. And so, uh,
1: what we looked at, you know, when we were creating our own organization, was this we want as flat of an organization as possible you know, for a whole host of reasons, really. But our whole thing was, since we intend on being small, we got bigger than we expected to be, but since we intend on being small and we intend on being a flat organization, we had to rethink what career path is in an age where hierarchy just doesn't make as much sense anymore. Uh, we also wanted to create something where we didn't feel forced, if you will, like unnaturally to start creating directors underneath, you know, VPs underneath senior VPs underneath, you know, C-level execs, just
0: because, just so we could mirror how things used to be done. Right. Right. It just didn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, we talk about this a lot that, you know, a startup company does not mirror a larger corporation. It's not just a smaller version of a big company. And, and we're, you know, we we sort of have that narrative out there. Um, And yet you do see a lot of companies kind of unintentionally recreate that same structure um, even though philosophically and like you know the tactically the things they're doing to grow the company may not align with that at all, right which I think is dangerous for a lot of reasons. Well, it puts the founders
1: uh, in a tough spot though because everyone's kind of grown up knowing this mechanism for growth. and all of a sudden, we're trying to unwind that. It's interesting, too, because, again, we're, of course, still in COVID. We may have be having this disclaimer for a long time at this rate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it forced a lot of people to rethink the, their office space, right? And so a lot of major companies, remember Twitter was one of the first ones in, are just like, yeah, you're just not going to have an office anymore. And you know, I actually, uh, on Twitter, of all things, uh, said today or yesterday, I said, you know, if offices didn't exist, no one would sit down as a team and say, let's sit in an office from nine to six or whatever in this uncomfortable space and work every, like, no one would have invented that in current terms. There was a time and a place it made
0: sense. Right. Let's go with, let's look at our growth goals, guys. Yeah, there was, and it's it's no longer, right? And nobody's sitting down and thinking like, you know, what we need is probably a roof and some walls, a water cooler. That will drive the growth that we need. We should probably put most of our money into that right now. It's not going to happen. Right? Yeah. Basically, my needs right now are
1: I, I want to create a commute to a place that I don't want to be at. I, I, I want to sit at an uncomfortable desk uh, like I'm a school kid for a very long time, uh, barely talk to people that I like, and miss my family as much as possible. If we can get all those things to work, yeah, I, I, like I would be in a very good place, right? And so, uh, again, it, these things start to tumble down because uh, you know, COVID tore this, this mechanism out. I think startups, based on kind of how we're building differently, how our efficiencies are creating different types of organizations. Like you can just do it with ten or twelve people well, you used to be able to do with a hundred people. So you've got to figure out what ten or twelve people looks like. Um, you know, I've referenced this before, Ryan, but uh, you know, David and Jason at Basecamp are are huge fans of this. You know, they, they've basically said we could have a two hundred person organization, we just don't want to. And hell, I don't blame them. Right. And so we had to sit down uh, a couple of years ago and we had to rethink what our organization looks like and what career path looks like for folks um, in an in an era where we don't intend on creating any hierarchy. And I think that was a tough conversation. What
0: was your take on it? It was. I mean, so, you know, it, it's hard to have that conversation with somebody without really feel like you're trying to force feed them some Kool-Aid, right? And it's um, because... While it does work within the startup context, um, and you know it, mileage may vary you know, startup to startup, um, in terms of how that's implemented, I think where it gets tricky for people is they go, yes, Ryan, yes, Will, I understand what you're saying uh, to me as, as your prospective employee and you're, you're kind of laying out the, the, the future for me here, and that works great within the context of your company, but what happens if someday I want to go somewhere else where they expect that based on my title, my experiences, that I will have these other things. Like I would have been managing people and not just process. Um, and, and so I think that was where it was the most difficult was to be able to say like, look, we're trying to, to give you a little bit of a view of the future here. We're, we're trying to help you understand what your growth looks like for us. I think the, the, and they got that. I think by and large, that's not as hard to explain. I think it's as they're then thinking, yeah, but what if? Like what happens when I need or want to leave this company? What happens if, you know, this startup company that I'm about to join fails? That was the most difficult piece of this. and I, I think it's going to get easier because I think that the notion of you know full time employment, or, you know for forever with one company and and simply growing through these the, this kind of antiquated hierarchical system that we've just talked about is changing. But we're not quite there yet, right? It's it's 1993, and I'm trying to buy a book online, and I'm still really nervous about putting in my credit card details, right? We're not quite there yet. Um, well, so you know what I remember us doing. I think we should kind of go through our exercise because
1: I think it served us well, and I think a lot of other folks listening uh, would like to hear it. And uh, I think where we landed to begin with was we said that growth essentially needs to be unpacked, right? Like when we talk about uh, you know career growth and career progression, uh, if we look at it. At, at all the ends, which is, hey, I want to be a CMO, or you know, you know uh, I want to be able to have people reporting to me, we're missing what people are actually asking for. It's not necessarily that I want to be director of, it's that I want the things that come with director of. And so we went backward, we spent a lot of time on this actually, and we started to unpack uh, all of the key tenets of what career growth actually meant to people. And what was interesting, and if you remember that you know a lot of these discussions, once we did that, the conversation got a lot easier, because we were saying, "Don't you really mean this?" And 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 it came down to, to essentially three things, and I guess we can dig into each. One was cash. I want to, you know, I want to get promoted because that means more money, right? So okay, yeah, you know, we have to figure out how you can make more cash. Um, a, a, another one um, was about recognition. You know, title was, a, you know, huge recognition. You know, if I go from director to VP, I want that recognition. If you just say, yes, I'm making more money, but I've never changed my title in 20 years, it feels like something's missing, right? Even if the title doesn't necessarily mean I'm getting direct reports, um, by the way, direct reports are a pain in the ass. Uh, at, at least I want to understand that I'm being recognized for pro- progression. Um, and, and then, then really the, the last one was, as I move up the ranks, you know, as those titles imply, uh i'm in charge of more i get to do more i get to i get more empowered and we had to explain with each of those how you could do that within within this organization with caveats to everything by the way um without having to jump and i'll i'll make one giant caveat if what you want to be is a manager like because that that's its own thing right like if you're if you're uh, a creative and you're coming in, let's say as an illustrator, and you really illustration is great,
0: but you really want to manage fifteen illustrators, right? You want to get to the art director level. I want to meet that. I want to meet that unicorn. Where does that person exist? I've <laughs> literally never met an illustrator who's like, "What I really want to do is put down my pen, and I want to just manage the output of other humans all day." I've never met them. It it to be fair, um that is that is indeed the uh,
1: the goal of some folks and, and i'm I'm not trying to to shortcut that, say it's a bad goal. It's a different goal, but that's also where we say, yeah, that's actually not going to happen. you know uh, we're not trying to you know put um any any icing on the cake. we're just saying, we're just saying there's no cake,
0: right Yeah, but 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 I think that was it's part of the reason why the conversations got so much easier if you recall like when when we could now say to somebody, hey, you can now, there's a path to creative director that doesn't involve putting your pen down. You can still be creative and be the director, right? As opposed to just being a manager of humans now. Um, And and so again, like there there is a difference still between how that's perceived internally and what they could do from a a kind of a a job, career capital standpoint, external to the organization. Um, But internally, it made that conversation I, not just easier, but it, it, rather than just you know removing the barrier of that conversation, it actually acted as a pull. They were like, "Wow, I can do that. I can I can actually be something that I want to be without having to give up the things that I like doing." Yes, yes, you can. I agree. Um,
1: well, well, let's let's unpack the first one. Let's talk a little bit about uh, cash. Um, so, so uh, you know, I'm I'm going to play the kind of uh, employee here, and I say, uh, "Hey, Ryan, uh, I'm, I'm working in customer service. Uh, I'm making forty thousand dollars a year now." Um, how do I get to making $400,000 a year doing this job? Let's start there.
0: Yeah, you don't. Um, yeah, so there, <laughs> there, there, is this one of the caveats you were talking about, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always gonna be a top limit for, for specific job functions, right? And I mean, really what we're talking about is cash needs to align with contribution. Right, and so there is a point at which the the contribution within a given role can't exceed a certain amount. Right, there's just there's only there's only so much room uh, for for the contribution to continue to align with the comp at that point. Um, and so I think that can be one of the more challenging things to figure out is you know how do we continuously align the, the the compensation from a cash standpoint with the contribution of that individual and and where that changes over time. Right, but I think we've done a good job of of helping people to understand. Um, And again, like it helps when you're flat, right? It helps when you're a small organization, it helps when you've got a lot of transparency so that people understand their contribution. When you're employee number 67 in a given department, how do you gauge your contribution? Not very accurately, right? Because you probably don't have the level of visibility into the overall P&L that would allow you to say, like, here's what I do, here's how this drives bottom line, or here's how this, you know, increases top line um, or moves bottom line, or whatever, right? But I think that that's, uh, that's increasingly harder in a large organization. So again, it's a luxury we have at the startup level to be able to do
1: that. Uh, so, So I think it says a few things. I say from a contribution standpoint, if you're growing and you're actually contributing more to the organization, right? In other words, your contribution isn't flat. If you're, let's say, let's say in customer service, which is a super important function, and, um, and year over year, you're really just doing the same job, slightly differently, hopefully a little bit better year over year, uh, but generally the same job. Uh, th- there, there isn't an exponential value to that contribution, right? Um, you would have to, you'd have to take a look at the work you're doing in saying, I'm going to bring another dynamic to this work, um, where it will allow us to maybe make more money right, or save more money, right? You know, uh, uh, either helps drive the P&L. And, and here's the tricky thing. Uh, you get essentially three classes of folks that that work with you. You get folks that directly impact uh, the P&L. So that would be like um, sales, right? I mean, sales people can, can always write their own ticket because if they bring in more money, they can always take a, a, a slice of it. Uh, you then have people that are kind of in the middle they, they sometimes help generate more money. They sometimes don't. Developers would be a good example of that. And sometimes it's very hard to quantify, right? So developer can say, hey, well, I'll get, it, get the mobile app out faster than I ever did before. Uh, or anybody else would. And that's super valuable. Uh, we'll make more money because we're selling it. So that makes sense. Maybe tricky to quantify. But even still, they can make a case for uh, contribution equals cash. It's the third category that's a little bit harder. Let's say that I'm doing HR. or I'm doing the books, right? There's just sort of just kind of a value of that, and you run into a ceiling that a lot of people don't think about, which is called replacement cost. So the idea is, if I'm a cashier at Walmart and I get paid 12 bucks an hour, which actually be a fair amount, um, and I work there for 40 years. I won't make a quarter million dollars right? <laughs> because there's a threshold at which point the replacement cost for that same role, no matter how good you are at it, um, hit, hits a, a certain number. Unfortunately, I mean, for that role, it wouldn't be that high. you know. So if you were the best cashier there is, but anyone else can do some version of that job, not as well, for $18 an hour, $20 an hour, that's probably been on the high end, you'll never be able to state a case for why what you're doing in that role should get paid more than that. Now, sometimes some startups, depending if they have the cash and if they have this purview, um, they'll say, you know, we're actually willing to pay more for that job. We'll pay $24 uh, an hour for that job, assuming the business uh, economics work out, because we want you to know that this is the best paying job and the most recognition that you can get which you know is panacea I think Ryan for for uh, an employer. And and I would like to believe that's where we'd like to be. You know, we'd like to be at a point where you can't go to another company and make more because we pay the most for that. And and I, I don't look at that as like golden handcuffs. I look at that as just reward, like you know, a thank you for your contribution.
0: Yeah, Well, I think it, it depends on the individual, right? So in in the scenario that you just laid out, uh, you know, around the cashier even customer service, This is why some of these hierarchical jumps have to exist and occur, right? But however, if that person wants to stay in that job, if they feel like being a cashier is what they're meant to do and that's where they want to be, um, being able to pay a little over market is a nice way of rewarding them for doing a great job and wanting to stay there. Um, It also helps to avoid some of the challenges that we wanted to talk about today, which is then what do you do with that person once they hit the top limit of that? Now, you're paying them as much as you possibly can for that, but that person still wants to make more, grow more, get more responsibility. Well, at that point, you're talking about some kind of a role change or escalation or elevation. Potentially.
1: Uh, The other thing that that I'll throw out there, and I I don't want to go too too far on a tangent on this, but there's more than cash to reward people. Um, Time off, for example, flexibility in your job. Uh, You know, I I would say every company right now, given COVID, is starting to understand where flexibility in the job, you know, work from home, et cetera, is as much of a value to some folks as, you know, the next tier of cash is. I'm not saying cash isn't important, but often uh, the flexibility to be with your family or, you know, do things that that you want throughout the day and kind of like uh, make your day the way you want it is incredibly valuable to people. And this is for the first time, kind of everybody's had that that insight to that, uh, whether they wanted it or not. And so uh, I know for us, being able to give people a ton of flexibility in how they work has been an en- enormous cash reward. And a lot of folks have said, if I go somewhere else and I lose that, then the step up in cash doesn't matter. And I, I believe that to be very true. So again, I think we're also talking about being creative and what the full bucket of of uh, compensation looks like?
0: Yeah, yeah, but it's it's a really important point though, Will, because you know we're we're talking about the fact like when we looked at the hierarchy and we said you know becoming a director wasn't really the thing they wanted, it was the things that came with it that they wanted. But even those are really just a means to an end, right? Even if we look at cash, cash isn't necessarily what they wanted. They wanted to do something with that cash, right? The more responsibility isn't necessarily the thing they wanted. They wanted the more you want more responsibility so they can achieve more within the role. Right? And, and so even even as we break out these three buckets we're really still talking about most of these things being a means to another end so it's a really good point that you raise that you know it goes well beyond the cash compensation um, it's a big piece of it right but it's really about what does that buy me right and again if, if leaving this company to take more caps comp means you know traveling and working long hours and not seeing family then maybe that doesn't really give you what you wanted maybe the cash that you wanted was you could take an extra vacation which you can now afford. From a, a monetary standpoint, but you don't have the flexibility to take it. So, what have you actually accomplished in that in that move? Um, and, and so, you know, of course, career path is is an extremely uh, complicated uh, and multifaceted adventure. Um, the calculus on it's tough to do, uh, but you know, you're you're absolutely right in saying that we got to kind of go beyond these the the base metrics and understand what's really motivating folks. What do they actually want? Right? Let's get beyond the obvious and let's talk about what do they actually need to want to stay with us. Because I think a big part of what we're talking about today is retention, right? Um, how do we keep the people that we want? How do we keep them happy? And and how do we, you know, help them to excel in doing what they're doing?
1: Well, and again, and, and we always have to bear in mind that because we're a smaller organization, we're always going to be a, a bit saddled with, with the replacement cost, right? So if we've got an, somebody doing accounts payable and uh, that person's doing a kick-ass job and they're making $60,000 a year, but there's no version as a business, again, we're a small business, where we're going to pay $160,000 for that same role. right? Again, back to the cashier at Walmart, there's just some point at which the organization can't afford to pay exponential for a function uh, in the business, regardless how good that person is or how loyal they, they are, et cetera. And the truth is, what you're really talking about isn't whether or not, hey, I want to stay with this company. It's I have to go to any other company this isn't even about you know, uh, moving up and down the ranks, et etc, whose replacement cost is higher. right? Um, you know, maybe a Google can pay120,000 dollars for an accounts payable person because their replacement cost for
0: what they do and the level of, uh, of that responsibility is dramatically different. Right. Well, it goes goes straight back to contribution, right? You you assume that Google can afford to pay that because the contribution of that individual and in accounts uh, uh, payable there is is significantly higher.
1: Correct. And 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 so our goal as a small company should not be let's come up with every reason no one can ever leave, right? Our goal should be let's have a very clear dialogue about what we can do well and where we have to say goodbye, right? And 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 I I think. Um, we get so caught up in retention to mean if anyone leaves, I failed. And the truth is people will outgrow different aspects of the organization. I said differently, if they're not, you've kind of failed there where <laughs> you haven't grown the staff. Uh, and so uh, we need to look at contribution in cash as this multifaceted thing. Like, What are all the ways that I can you know, uh, compensate you? Uh, time, money, etc. Um, and try to come up with the best you know, pie chart of those things that we can. And if if we can't, not the end of the world. Uh, but folks need to understand that they can grow in cash, you know, their reward without necessarily having that to, to become director, VP,
0: et cetera. Absolutely, well. And so I, I think we can kind of put a bow on that by saying that, you know, cash equals contribution, um, maybe, maybe comp people's contribution, right? So we can talk about things we can do for the staff outside of cash. Uh, but that 's the general crux of it. Um, you know the, the other thing that we talked about um, is that you know, your, your title needs to reflect your your capability, uh, not necessarily your direct reports right like you know being a, a a creative director versus being an illustrator speaks to what you can accomplish within that role, not simply I now am an illustrator with fifteen people working for me. Um, So let's unpack that a little bit, right, because I think this is something that we've done a good job of internally is helping people to move up, uh, you know, in in title um, and in recognition um, without saying, yeah, but that's going to be limited on when we can hire those 15 people to sit underneath you, right? No, this is a reflection of your progression through your capabilities within this role not simply, yeah, we were able to hire 12 more people.
1: You know, it goes back to the, the, the gentleman I mentioned uh, when we had 50 developers, and I said, um, we kept moving him up to put people under him to say that's a reflection of your progression, but essentially, he had become a systems architect, and that was a reflection of his progression. Um, everything else had nothing. He was actually, he was a, fun, he was a good enough manager. I'm not going to knock him, but like, that really wasn't his you know, superpower. Yeah, it also wasn't what he wanted to be doing, right? He came to you and said, I hate this job well, but but actually stick with that. I could never get around how people were inherently put into management positions as a reflection of their capability, um, without necessarily saying, is that really how we should be progressing you? Right. And so, uh, this was always, you know, my beef around creatives, you know, at the agency, we had like 150 creatives and, again, go, going back to the the person you know with the with the pen that was an amazing illustrator saying, "Hey, you know let's say I have twenty people reporting to me. Where did you get that responsibility or said differently, where did you get that skill right? I mean, you went to art school <laughs> like what do you know about management?
0: Yeah, they didn't I mean it it yeah, it literally just comes and this is like we talked about the fact that you know sometimes you know uh, trying to create a situation whereby we add those people so we can promote that person. Like, well, this person needs the promotion, they want the promotion, so I guess we gotta go hire people to put underneath them. The 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 opposite can be true as well, which is that there's a necessity to add people. So in, in your case, you weren't hiring developers so you could promote this guy. You were hiring developers because you needed them to execute on projects, which then just by proxy elevated him to a different position that he didn't want or need to be in, right? Both of those things are bad news. Well, they are, and, and look at it this way. Uh, there's another side of it where...
1: The person progressing, let's say they don't have an interest in management, but, but on the other side of it, maybe the rate that they're progressing sh- just shouldn't have anything to do with management. In other words, um, if, if I show up and uh, I'm a kick-ass marketer, now, let's, say, let's say year one I'm not, I'm 22 years old, I'm out of school, and I show up at the organization, and I'm just earning my stripes. But by year two, man, I'm absorbing a lot right? I'm starting to get some campaigns rolling. I'm actually starting to get, um, some real progress by year two, year three, et cetera. I'm actually on my grind, right? Like I'm, I'm nailing all of these initiatives, right? I'm doing stuff that people normally 10 years ahead of me were doing is the notion that the only way that I can prove that I have those skills is by having reporting structure. That doesn't make any sense, but But if I go into a big org, and again, I'm not knocking a big org. I'm just saying this is where it kind of breaks down in a big org, and this is where it's an asset for a small org. I have to start to, I have to go at the bottom. I have to work under some uh, dude that probably doesn't even understand half the stuff I'm learning, right? And kind of just sit around and wait in line and hope that he or someone else in the organization kind of figures out that I'm more valuable and kind of figures out how to move me into a reporting role so that. I can do the same damn thing I was going to do anyway. That pisses me off. Because in my mind, every person in the organization should be given a path, an individual path, to run as fast as they can, despite anybody else that may be above them, right, in in a reporting structure. In other words, yeah, man, if you show up and you are just amazing at your job, there should not be Any hierarchical boundary to how quickly you can advance. Um, We see this with developers all the time, you know, because they tend to get a tremendous amount of experience at a very young age and become very market valuable at a young age. I hate the idea that a that a twenty one year old developer can't get senior level pay by the time they're twenty two or twenty three, right? And and what, what throws people is they look at that and they say well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, they couldn't possibly have the experience. Mm, they have the contribution.
0: That's- if they do, that's it. If they're making the contributions, yep.
1: You know, we brought in our director of finance at what, 22?
0: Was he? I'm not sure. Yeah, barely.
1: Yeah, I mean, but what, 23 maybe? Uh, point being, that's the director of finance. <laughs> that's not a minimal job, right? Um, our, our now CTO, same thing. Um, was in a director role by the time he was 22, 23. Um, And the point of that is we don't look at how many years of experience you have per se. We look at what can you do? How capable are you? What level can you play at? Now think of what a waste it would have been of talent of either of those guys had we put them in the same role at any other company, any other big hierarchical company. And perhaps they would have moved up in their own way, um, but not likely, right? They would have said, well, you don't have the experience yet, so you can't move up yet.
0: And, and there's there's so much historical precedent for how long somebody needs to be there before they can move Well, you know, it took Jim seven years. It took Bob and Jane, whatever. So, like, you end up with all of these additional arbitrary drags in addition to just the hierarchical structure itself that keeps people from being able to move up as quickly as they're as their. Capabilities would allow them to.
1: It's basically like saying uh, somebody comes into the military and they wind up being this just amazing soldier with amazing strategic capabilities, and they're like, you know, uh, no, you're just going to be a private. Sorry, <laughs> that that that's what people are at this level. It doesn't really ma- no matter what capabilities you have. Uh, that's where you are now.
0: Potatoes need peeling.
1: And I guess to be fair, there's probably tons of use cases where that works out just fine.
0: Yeah. yeah. But
1: in the startup environment, one of the things we should be flexing is that that doesn't work here, right? Everyone is constrained by their own growth, not anybody else's growth, and more importantly, not by someone else's incidental uh, role in the company. So in other words, if someone else just happens to be sitting in the VP director slot, it doesn't mean you're not allowed to grow anymore. Your title may not become VP director because they're the VP director, but it doesn't mean you you can't level up within your own capability,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. I still think that's one of the biggest challenges though, right? Um, Even if you have elevated them to, let's say all else is equal, right? Let's just say for for somehow comp is equal, uh, you know, their, 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 their autonomy is equal. Everything else is equal. It's still hard for that person to take that, isn't it? I mean, to be able to say that like, well, I'm operating at the same level. We have different titles, right? Um, It's, it's a challenge still. What I would say for someone, let's say particularly younger in their career,
1: they should be able to find a company like us, startups.com, and there are many like us, and say, I want to go there because there's nowhere I can level up fast enough if I'm good enough to get the comp, the title, and the responsibility, you know, the empowerment. Um, this, this thing is a rocket ship. And on top of that, if I move kind of to the top of that stack, I get to do shit at that organization at a young age that I would never get the responsibility to do in a bigger organization, right? You know, I get to have that impact. Yeah, um, which I think kind of leads us to the next point, which would be uh, as I'm leveling up, I kind of want to be rewarded with the empowerment to do more stuff. If I'm killing it on marketing or design or development, I don't want to say, I don't want to hear, well, you're not the VP of this, so you don't get to make that decision. It's like, uh, you know, pardon my French, fuck that. Um, you know, I want to know that if I'm that capable, give me the ball. Right, I mean, it's kind of that simple. Uh, and let me run because that's what I do. It doesn't matter how old I am, what you know, I am or what background I'm from or anything else like that. I want to know. I, I'm in an organization where if I'm that good, no one stands in my way. And and I I think that's a superpower of a startup.
0: Oh, it is absolutely it is. And I mean, I, there's a lot of things that that feed into that. I think, and one of the big ones is just visibility. Um, you know, we talked about this at the, at the top, but in a large organization, mapping that contribution to that individual can be really, really tough. Um, in, a, in a small company, in a startup, it's usually not very hard to be able to understand so-and-so did this and it led to that, right? And if that's a good thing, then then let's give them more opportunity to do more of that. But I, I think that there's there's something really cool about that too, right? Um, being able to say that now I we're, we're, we're kind of measuring me by my contributions, not by my time in saddle, not by how many people I'm managing. And now we're gonna open the door to give me more opportunities to make those contributions and maybe even to define what those contributions should and and need to be. Um, And at that point, you're really talking about unbridled career growth, right? Like at that point, at the point at which you now have a a clear understanding of how your comp and, and so forth is tied to your contributions, Um, and the fact that your skills are are really what are being measured here and your ability to make that contribution through those skills, and now you're being given autonomy and more ability to create contribution, what else do you need at that point, right? It sounds ideal. Well, there's another part of it, too. A lot of people
1: uh, have asked, can I get a contribution, Uh, you know, uh, can I get some empowerment to do stuff that's actually not even in my skill set, right? So in other words... Uh, our our CTO has had experience in MA, right? There's no version if he was a programmer at Google where Larry and Sergey are going to call him up and say, "Hey, you know, we're looking to acquire Fitbit. Can you, can you sit in on this meeting? So, you know, so you can, we can you know uh, have you weigh in?" Um, not questioning his ability. I'm just saying that would never happen.
0: Right? It just isn't going to happen. They would have no there'd be no exposure to it, and therefore no reason to involve him. Mm-hmm.
1: Correct. And so I think uh, you know part of the uh, the package that we're talking about. Is giving people the opportunity um, to dig in to get their hands dirty on stuff that they've never seen before. You know, product. Everybody brings up product development. I have product ideas, so I, I want to be in product development, right? Well, that usually just doesn't happen. Um, one of the cool things about a smaller company is you can start to get your hands in stuff that you could never touch before. Um, fun, fun caveat. Some people are good at that. You know, some people actually do have you know a, a, a bit of a uh, a capability to kind of uh, cross um, genres, so to speak. Most people don't. To be fair, most people try it and they realize that there's
0: a reason that other people are better at this. <laughs> right, it's a reason I'm in this lane.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just saying, like, like every year I try to teach myself to code, and every year I'm like, oh, that's why people, are, that's why people code and I don't. Uh, so uh,
0: again, um but at least you got the opportunity, right? Well, there's also a difference too between an ability to contribute in those spaces and to own that space, right? And I think that's something that's really hard to do in a large large organization because you won't have enough exposure to it to be able to make a meaningful contribution. And so even if you tried, it probably wouldn't be a very valuable contribution. But because of the the transparency between departments, between individuals that typically exist in a startup company, I think your ability to make meaningful contributions, even at, at a really small scale, Is is far far superior than in a large organization.
1: You know, one of the things I found is that that when people say, "Hey, I want to get involved in product development," or "Hey, I want to get involved in something else," they don't mean it the way I think. I used to think they mean. I used to think that they mean like, "Hey, you want me to just like hand me the ball and let me run." That's not what they're saying. What they're saying is, "I want to watch it happen, right? I I, I want to watch how the sausage is made. I don't want to make the sausage, right?" Um, And they're just saying, "I I want an inside view as to uh, what's going on there." You know, I, I want to be able to sit in a management meeting and just hear how it goes. I'm not saying that I want to manage the entire company. Um, And when, when people get those opportunities um, in, on a consistent basis, and then they look at a job somewhere else well, they'll never get that opportunity, it's not the same jo- job anymore. Right? So again, back to the holistic comp, a lot of these opportunities we can create uh, around empowerment are opportunities people just can't get elsewhere. With all that said, I think we, we go back to the big caveat is that we can offer the comp, the career progression, the title progression, the empowerment, etc. but there is a point <laughs> where you're better off elsewhere. I mean, I, I don't, I, and I've said it to plenty of people over the years. I've just said, look, I love you. You're awesome. And this is why I'm going to tell you this. You're better off somewhere else. Um. And I also say the opposite when I say, and again, I, I can't predict the future, but just based on my experience, I say, look, um, there is a point where I still think you're better off here and you're probably jumping the gun, but it's up to you to figure that out. But on the other hand, there are people that come to us and say, Hey, you know, I need to make 200 K doing this job. And I'm like, that's going to happen here. <laughs> Adios. I mean, yeah, we'll open our Rolodexes and, uh, see what happens it, it sucks because they're like my often my favorite people right um and they're the most ambitious right that's why I'm, they're my favorite people um and and i look at that and i say uh th- again there's a place where we top out there's a place where you got to kind of run into your own thing and, and i'm okay with that you know
0: we've, we've talked about that before yeah we've, we've we've gone over that one yeah i mean we're we're always happy to see people move on and progress of course we'd love to know that they can progress within within the walls of startups.com but um, you know it, and it happens in, in more ways than one, right? You know they can outgrow the company um, or, or simply grow faster than that aspect of the company's growing. Um, sometimes the converse is true, right? Sometimes the company grows faster than they are and and they don't have, uh, you know they're, they're not prepared at that point because sometimes these, these things can happen really fast, right? We turn on a new channel. all of a sudden things change overnight. And now, you know, in a role they were thriving in, now they, they just feel like they're trying to hang on for dear life. And in that case, it's also, you know, a better move to switch. Um, and sometimes they, they they ride it out and, and can kind of catch up, but oftentimes, you know, that creates a window of opportunity or necessity for them to go and do something else too, right? And like you said, we want to keep everybody forever, but it doesn't happen. And I think that as long as, as founders, we're doing everything we can to create, um, An environment where, for the time that you are here, you have great opportunities, you enjoy the work, um, and you do have some clarity in in the path to proceed, and knowing where that ends, then it's okay, right? I, I think one of the things that I've seen happen within startup companies that ends up being a tragedy for everybody involved is to lay out a path that sort of fundamentally doesn't or can't exist, or that there are too many things that need to be true, um, that are just out of the hands of either the person telling them or the individual who then needs to follow that path. Um, and that can just lead to a lot of disappointment, right? You know, if it's like, you know, start here today, Jimmy, and, you know, in, in five years, you're going to be running this thing, right? If we told every customer service rep that worked for us that that was the possibility, and of course, anything's possible. But if that's the path you lay out, you're being disingenuous, and, and that can lead to a lot of heartache. Yeah, I agree. I, look, I
1: uh, I think at its core our goal is to simply say, this is what we do really well. We're kick ass at these things. You can make more money at this role than, than most other roles. You know, Again, not everybody, we, can, we can't outpay Google. Um, we, we can give you a title progression that has no bounds. In other words, it is not bounded by who's ahead of you. It's not bounded by um, your your experience in market. It's it's bounded by how, how much ass you kick. Um, and we can give you the empowerment to just do what you wanna do, see other things that you'd never see before. If all of those things sound awesome and continue to sound awesome, this is the place for you. If it's not, again, you know, uh, we'll help you find your next gig, so to speak. But I think all we can do in putting that path together is lay our cards out, say, this is where we're awesome at. We hope you can grow with us.
0: That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at Startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer. From our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later.